All right, let's turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua 10. We'll continue our march through the scriptures. Had kind of a failure last week in chapter 9 where Joshua got duped into making a, an agreement with the Gibeonites. And it's because they didn't seek the Lord. And they didn't find things out. It says that specifically uh, in verse 14. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And that's what caused them to make their blunder. Um, they went off outward uh, situation, the outward circumstances, and they made a judgment call. Based on, we use that term a lot. Let's just make a judgment call. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you do. You, you go with your gut and you trust that that's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. But there's nothing wrong with offering up a prayer, you know. It doesn't have to be very long. We see Nehemiah as he's brought before the king, and the king asks him, why are you so downcast? Why are you so upset? Which could have meant his head, considering his position. You know, you, don't, you, you hate to see your cupbearer depressed, <laughs> you know. What's in my cup, you know. Um, and so Nehemiah throws up a quick prayer and then speaks. And we need to do that often. And that's the lesson here. We're going to see the nation of Israel um, continually, like us, do what God asks us to do and things work out great, and then not do what he's asked us to do and things don't go so great. It's a very simple lesson. Um, it takes, us, takes him a very long time to tell us that as we go through the entire Old Testament. He's going to tell us that, and especially when we get to Judges, you'd think we get a clue. You know, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, then they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, then they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it is an annoying book to read because you want to shake them, you know, <laughs> you know, get a grip. And you end up shaking yourself. Get a grip, you know. So we have a good chapter <laughs> today. Chapter 10. And we have some supernatural things happening here. Um, there's, you know, a lot of speculation about did it really, did the sun really stand still and all that stuff? Of course it did. God said it did. There's no question about whether it stood, stood, stood still or not. It's just we can't pinpoint it exactly when it happened. Um, had a brother tell me last week, oh, I'm excited for chapter 10 because, you know, they've pinpointed it through NASA and all that. And there is that story out there. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I'll use that in the text. So I started researching and looking at it. And it turns out it's an old story that's been kind of uh, a legend that NASA actually proved when it happened and all that. And it's, it's been kind of debunked since then um, that NASA has found it. Not that the sun stood still. That's an absolute fact because God's word says so. Um, but that NASA found out, it's like, oh, not really. And the reason being is we don't have a clock that can go accurately back that far and, you know, a, a current earth clock that can go back that far and actually tell us that. So um, we don't have that, and that's from Answers in Genesis, and that's a good source also. Um, but that isn't really the point of the chapter. We like to talk with the earth. I mean, the sun stood still. I mean, that just doesn't happen, you know. Well, the point of it is that uh, Joshua by faith cries out, and God answers him. And Joshua's faith is so strong that he can ask anything. And he just knows God will do it if it's God's will. And that's the lesson. And so verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty, therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to uh, Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jer Jarmuth, uh, Zephiah, 
king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jeremoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Bigger battle. This is going to be a bigger battle. Now, um, I, you know, if, this was, if I was Joshua, which I'm not, I would have said, well, what a great opportunity to right a wrong last week. You know, these five kings are going to go up to this group that tricked us into believing that they were from a faraway country, made peace with them. We weren't supposed to. We didn't seek the Lord. What a disaster. Oh, they want to fight him? Oh, you know, look the other way. I don't know. And that's why I'm not Joshua. Because Joshua was a man of God. He made a vow. He made a promise. And even when they found out that these guys were lying to them, he kept his word, even though theirs was a lie. Honestly, any kind of contract like that based off a lie is voided. We know that. We live by that. We hope for that. You know, Is there any kind of error on their side of things? Because if they made a lie, if they uh, misrepresented themselves in this contract, then my signature means nothing. I based it off of their truth, and it was a lie. That's not how Joshua sees it. He says, I made a vow before God, and I didn't seek the Lord. And so he's going to keep this. He's going to keep his word. And so when you make a treaty with somebody, it's that kind of treaty. We're going to go to war on your behalf. We're not going to just make you woodcutters and water carriers, which is what they ended up doing to them, making them slaves. We're also going to go to war for you. You fall under our protection as well. And so Joshua is going to do what he needs to do. Now the world, on the other hand, as we see here, this nation of Israel has beat these guys and these guys and these guys. That's how they see it. If we all get together, maybe we can defeat them. They, they don't understand the size and the scope of God. They don't understand his majesty. They don't understand who he is. See, they're used to little gods. Um, the Canaanites worshipped created things, you know. Um, and anytime you worship a created thing, it ends up looking like you, inevitably. The, the one you choose. There's the, the temple of the thousand Buddhas, right? Temple of the thousand Buddhas. And, and, and the idea is you go in and you find the Buddha that looks mostly like you, and that's the one you worship, literally. And it's like... Really? You know? But we do that to ourselves all the time. And in fact, we can do that with the true and living God in our own way. We can make him out to be like us. And, and, and I do it too. I'm not saying that that's, you know, you guys really shouldn't do that. I do that. I'll, I'll think, you know, I think God thinks like I think. And I think that's how we all come to God's word. We all come to God's word with the understanding that we get it. You know, especially after 20, 30 years walking with the Lord, you kind of kind of know what he likes and what he doesn't like, so you get it. And so you read his word, and then he shows you something about himself. Oh, well, I, didn't, I didn't know you thought like that. I don't think like that. And you got a choice to make at that point. Do I change, or do I dis disregard that scripture because I don't like the way it reads? You know, um, because it's not like me. Um, and we can do that, and we begin to play um, buffet Christianity. We want a little meatball here, want some green beans here, but we're going to leave the Brussels sprouts way down there, and the lima beans. You know, nobody should like lima beans anyway. It's an evil fruit of some kind. My mom always used to try to pass them off as little potatoes when she'd give them to me. No, they're not. No, they're not. But we've got to have it all, because it produces a healthy diet and produces healthy people that eat it all, all of it. And when we don't eat all of it, we're deficient we lack. That's why he calls it 
you know, the bread of life. We break the bread of life. Jesus is the bread. We know that, but this speaks of him. We break the bread of life. We read, we're reading the word this morning. We need to receive all of it. And so these guys from Canaan are used to having their own gods like them, and they worship the created things. And so their idea here to group up together and fight against this one group of people, five on one, it ought to be a no-brainer, and, and usually it is. It, nobody likes, uh, in hockey, if you watch hockey, penalty. You know, you get someone's in the penalty box, it's a bad thing, because then it's, it's disproportionate. You've got, I don't know how many people play, forgive me, but it's, it's six on five instead of six on six. I know it's more than that, but, um, or soccer or anything like that. You, you're down a man. You know, it's not a good thing to be outnumbered. And so this makes sense from a worldly perspective. We've got them outnumbered. But when it's you against God, or 12 against God, or 1,000 against God, it's, it's not a competition. It's, not, it's like 1,000 ants saying, J.D., I'm going to take you down today. No, you're not. You know, it's just how hard am I going to stomp? That's the decision to be made. And so they've never run into the living God before. They think, well, and you notice they don't pick on Israel. We're going to pick on the ones that made a treaty with Israel. Like that might be a little bit easier. And we have to pay attention to that too, especially as men, as leaders of the family. Watch out for that. Um, he doesn't necessarily, Satan doesn't necessarily come after you in the middle of your quiet time after a beautiful retreat that you've gone to, you know. But he will hit those that are on the side. He'll hit your wife. He'll hit your kids. He'll go for, the, for, the, uh, for those that trail in the rear, those that are behind a little bit, the weaker of the folks. And we need to pay attention to that and watch out for that. And so that's what Josh was doing. He sees these folks that made a, a deal with him, and he made a deal with them, he, and he agrees to it. He's going to go to battle. So the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. That, you know, circle that word ascended. It's, it's bigger than you think. And we'll get to it here in a minute. Ascended. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. That's very, very good news and a wonderful thing to read. Because last week we didn't read that. In fact, we read nowhere where God says, yes, go up to the battle. And, or go up and make a deal with Gilgal. They never asked of him. Somewhere along the line, as they're marching up there, God has spoken to Joshua and given him his stamp of approval on going ahead to do this battle. So it's a very good thing to read. And that's going to come on later on in verse 25. So maybe, I don't know, make a note by that. Verse 25. Do not fear them. There's five cities. It's five kings, five groups of people. We've been taking them one at a time, you know? This is a little different. Um, it isn't, but it is as far as our perspective goes. When you look across the field and you see one football team, okay, sizing each other up. I think we've had a lot more training and practice. You kind of go at it that way. You look across the field and all of a sudden all of southwest Missouri's come up to take on the Bearcats instead of just this one team that we can usually beat 63-0. to zero. Wow. Don't, wouldn't you love to be that bus ride home for those folks? What a... Wow. Anyway, but all five teams came up and says, you know, we're tired of getting bit 63 to zero. We brought the rest of the guys with us. So now it's not 12 on 12 anymore. You know, it's five against one. And so God steps in and says, I don't want you to be afraid for I have delivered them. Past tense. Always, always mark that ED at the end of those words. I've delivered. 
Not I'm delivering or I'm going to deliver. It's I've delivered them. As far as God's concerned, this is a done deal. You just need to get up there and do it. And when God says that to us and speaks to us that way, be encouraged. I mean, take it to heart. Believe him. Trust him when he says those things to you. Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua, therefore, came up on them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now you've got to get your maps out sometime, not probably now. And see their march. Their march is a 3,000-foot ascent. And it took them 20 hours to get up there. It's a tw- or 20 miles. It's a 20-mile march, but it's a 3,000-foot ascent. That is a hike. And I've been on hikes before. That's a hike. And they all made it. And they came on them suddenly. Can you imagine going to battle after that? I'd be excited to just have done it. That's where we plant our flag and we do a little dance. We take a selfie at the top. You're like, yeah, we did it. Now fight five armies after the end of this. It's a big deal. So why does he do it? There's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of effort involved here. These guys sweat all the way up that hill. None of them were floating up the hill. It wasn't like a supernatural carriage ride or something. These guys actually did the work. That's also important for us to remember as believers that when God calls us to do something, it's going to take effort. There is work involved. There's going to be sweat, equity involved in this. By no means is it by our strength or our ability or our will. We don't get the victory or get to claim the victory, but we have the victory in Christ, but we need to go through it. We have to go through it. On a side note, if I want patience, I have to go through things that cause me to be patient, which means I wanted it done yesterday, but I'm going to have to put off what I want and wait for it to take place if I want to have patience. Let patience have its perfect work. And I'm awfully impatient waiting for God to give me patience. Kind of wonder sometimes if that isn't a kind of little joke with him. Oh, you want patience? I'll answer that later. You know, okay, I'll wait for it. They marched all night from Gilgal. Folks, we got to work. I want to pray for God to take this away from me and that away from me or to increase this or decrease that in my life. I want that. We pray that. We need to. That's important. But I also, I've got to do it. You know, God's not going to knock it out of your hand. You need to set it down. It's a small thing, but... It's hard to ask God to stop you from doing something while you're in the middle of doing it. Just stop. You already know you're supposed to stop. Enough common sense tells you to pray to ask God to stop you. And yet you're going to keep on going until he actually physically steps in and does something to you. You know, we've got to do some work. God, I want to read my Bible every single day. Then, Then read it. You know, then read it. So they marched 20 miles, 3,000 foot climb, and they came upon them suddenly. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as um, Azekah and Makeda. I think so. And, uh, and it happened. As they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as uh, Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. That reminds me, I mean, you, you remember Egypt, obviously, when we go, you know, if you've 
read the Bible at all you, you, or seen the movie, Ten Commandments, you, you know about the hailstones, right? And uh, we, so when I see that, I'm like, okay, he's throwing a huge, I mean, large enough to kill a man. We're not talking softball necessarily, although it could have been. But we're talking some big hailstones here. And they killed more people with those than they did with the sword. Um, God steps in supernaturally and does this work because they're, in, they're, they're chasing them. But the nation of Israel isn't getting killed by these hailstones. Hailstones don't fall with targets. They just kill indiscriminately, normally, unless God's involved. And so these folks are chasing him down and cutting him down with a sword, but the, you know, you're striking away and all of a sudden, poof, shattered ice is everywhere. I mean, I, I get the picture. I don't know if you guys can picture this stuff, but like a shattering ice ball and you can feel the shards of ice hitting their faces of the nation of Israel. You know, they're wiping them out. Cool. You know, and these ice things are falling down. And this is everywhere and they're stepping over all these you know, melting, slowly melting ice things. It's like, man, this is incredible to be a part of this supernatural battle with God, not at him, with him, alongside of him, you know. How'd that make you feel? How does that boost these guys? We're not getting hit by these things. As soon as I'm about to strike this guy, a hailstone to the face knocks him out and I go on to the next guy. Amazing. What God did in Egypt with the 10 plagues was he attacked specifically with each plague, each one of their gods. If you've ever put that together, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But the lice, all these things, everything that they ever worshipped got attacked by one of those plagues or was those plagues. And you can go through that on your own. And so for the Canaanites who worshipped the God of weather or the God of whatever, to see this taking place made them feel like they're at odds with everybody. They're not on their side. It's not our God versus their God. It seems to be their God's a part of this. Or our God that we used to worship is subject to this God. It's a learning lesson for these guys a little bit, a little bit. And so he throws these things at them, you know, these hailstones at them and kills them. And they mark it down. This is a big deal. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, in other words, all Israel heard him say this, so he's screaming this. Sun stand still over Gibeon. He specifically asked for more daylight so he can finish the job. Sun stand still over Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. As soon, uh, and so the sun stood still and the moon stopped. I, I like the word so there. So, you know, so it did. Come on, now wait a minute. Sun stands still, moon stands still, so the sun stood still. So we just ask for this kind of stuff? I mean, it's never happened since. It's only happened once. We don't have any, and it's going to tell us as much. For that particular day, as they're routing these people, Joshua's prayer is appropriate and pointed in the right direction. James tells us that we have not because we ask not, and when we ask, we ask amiss. I mean, to be careful about my prayers. Joshua isn't asking for something for himself. He's saying, your enemies, God, are getting away. We need more daylight to finish the job. We want to make sure we finish the job, have the sun stand still so we can have more daylight to do this. We don't want dark to stop this battle. When I pray, I need to make sure, when we pray, we need to make sure that we're asking things not necessarily for ourselves, but for God's will. It's in accordance with God's plan. Those are prayers he can answer. But when I'm praying for stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm all for praying for rain. And I think we all prayed for rain a month ago. I think we've all been, you know, oh boy, this is bad. You know, it's really bad. 
no hay, no anything like that. Honestly, they were prayers for us. We wanted it. We wanted more of it. And he can do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I guess I want to be careful about this. So I'm not supposed to pray for rain? No. But don't get mad if it doesn't happen. And if it happens, great. Those are prayers that are and need to be left subject to his opinion and his approval. I don't want to command rain. I don't do a rain dance. I don't make him do what I want him to do because I think I, if we controlled the weather, we'd be in big trouble. We'd be in really big trouble. Things wouldn't work like they were supposed to. Things don't get, well, oh, I hate, I, I listen to people when it was raining. You farmers will just want to wring their necks if I gave you their names, so I won't give you their names. I'll point them out to you, but I won't give you their names. <laughs> but they're out there like, oh, of all days, it had to rain today. I'm like, I don't think you should say that out loud at all right now. And, I, you know, I, I don't farm, so for me, my feet, you know, I, I, gotta, I can't wear sandals today. You know? We're fickle as people, you know? I want rain when I want rain. I want my birthday sunny. I want your birthday cloudy and rainy. I mean, we're just that way. We don't mean it. We don't, we don't dislike you. We just want things better for ourselves. And we think like that. And so when, our, when we pray, and Joshua's prayer is just a great example of that. When we pray, we pray... God, you've sent us on a task. I want to make sure nothing stops this task. I want to make sure I can finish your task. That's a prayer that he can come right alongside and do. And that's a good thing. And I want to be careful about my prayers. I want them to be not for myself. I want them to be for God. Um, I want to be a better son of the Most High God because I'm an adopted son, and we all are adopted sons and daughters. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're an adopted son or daughter in the family. I want to be a better son. So when I ask for God to take sin away from me, I want it because I want to look more like you, and I want to act like I want to represent you better down here. That's the idea. That's a prayer he can answer. You know? um, on the other hand, when I begin to ask him for more money, things like that, I can leave that in his hands. I mean, who wouldn't? With 10 million, you probably wouldn't have to ask for much more money ever. You, believe me, you probably would. I shouldn't have bought that jet. I knew I shouldn't have bought that jet. God, I'm in debt. That jet payment's due, and I've spent 20 million out of the 10. You know, I need more money. Really. We were better off with wondering how the high V bill was going to get paid, you know, kind of thing. Just saying. Praying in accordance to his will. And so he does. So it did. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, until the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? Jasher. Everybody's going, wait a minute. Jasher. You've, hopefully you've read this before. Uh, we don't have the book of Jasher. Some say they found the book of Jasher. I doubt it. But that's fine if they have it. Everything or anything that was in the book of Jasher, we have. This is proof of that. Everyone, oh, I think we have missing books of the Bible. We need to add this book and add this book. And You really don't, because what we know out of the book of Jasher is what was just written in the book of Joshua. This is an excerpt from the book of Jasher. In other words, the rest of Jasher, not that important, but we do, out of the book of Jasher, take this excerpt and put it in Joshua so that you have it. We have everything God wants us to have in his word. It's complete. It's perfect. And so when I, you hear about the book of whatever, the, you know, the, another gospel or these other things, I... It's just another gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if it is, then I don't need it because I've got four already. And if it does say something more or contradicts anything in the scriptures, then I throw it out anyway because I bounce it off of what's, I use this as my lens to see if anything's true or false. So 
great, there's a book of Jasher. And you go online, if you Google it now, people say they have it. You can actually read the book of Jasher online. I wouldn't waste your time. But it's there. It's more than likely just someone wrote it. But, you know, someone like us wrote it like 10 years ago or something. But anyway, it's there. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So not quite 24 hours or quite 12 hours. You don't know what he means by that. Um, but it lasted long enough for them to do everything they needed to do. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. So it worked. But these five kings had fled and hid themselves in a cave at Mekeda, or Mekeda, I don't know how you pronounce it. And it was told Joshua saying the five kings have, found, have been found hide, hidden in the cave of um, Makeda, uh, Makeda, I don't know. So Joshua said, roll, <laughs> roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter until they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities and all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at uh, Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. They all just shut their mouths at that point. Not talking big anymore, you know, when it comes to Israel. Um, and God will do that for our enemies or to our enemies. He'll, he'll quiet them. Um, I get worried about tongues wagging against me or people talking bad about me. And I'm sure you feel the same way. You don't want people talking uh, ill of you either. Um, or behind your back or whatever, backstabbing. We have lots of words for it, two-faced, whatever it may be. We don't like that. It's best to let God protect your reputation. I don't have to protect my reputation. I just have to trust that I'm walking with the Lord and do what I'm supposed to do every day. Sometimes I make mistakes, sometimes I don't. Um, Good days, bad days. But either way, I let God protect my reputation. And so anybody that speaks against you, um, it should fall back on their heads. God will make sure that that takes place if you leave it in his hands. Sometimes we begin to meddle with keeping our reputation pure and clean, which is hard not to do. I, I, I'm with you. Um, we, we tend to make things worse because then we look like we're on the attack. It looks like we're uh, guilty of, of that, that they're claiming. Why are you so defensive about that? I don't know, because you just stabbed me in the back. You know, I'm a little defensive. I'm a little leery. Let God do that. And, and God does this with the nation of Israel. Everybody's talking about them and he, he shuts their mouths through victory. They didn't have to do it themselves. They didn't have to prove anything. They didn't have to flex their biceps and show how strong they are. They just let God be strong. And now they're not saying anything anymore. They admire Israel. They respect Israel, but not because of who they are, but because of who their God is. And ultimately, that is what we want with our reputation. I don't want them to respect me as a man. I don't want people to look at J.D. and say, oh, that's J.D. Dirks over there. You know, he's a pretty popular guy. You know, powerful man, powerful, strong as an ox. You know. No. <laughs> I am. No, but you want them to speak on behalf of your God. Because if we're here to glorify the Lord, Right? We are, right? That's what we say anyway. We sing songs about glorifying God with our lives. Then we want people to look at us and say, man, you must have a big God. And that's a backhanded compliment, by the way. Because what they're saying is, in no way you could have done that. 
but you must have a huge God, and that should be joy to our ears and bring us joy because he's, in our weakness, made strong and shown strong. Then Joshua said, verse 22, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings. Uh, You're going to love this. Well, you may not, but I do. Uh, (laughs) Kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave and the king of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out the kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. I don't mean to have a huge grin on my face. Well, because he, he's doing something. He's trying to teach these guys something. Come near. There's, a, there's something about that. It's not about showing these defeated guys who's boss, because they're going to die in about two minutes here. Next verse, they die. So it's nothing about these guys. It has everything to do with the captains of the guards. I want you to come near, and I want you to place your foot on their neck. And that's a very powerful position to be in, obviously. I was going to call somebody up here like Dale or something and, and, and have him put his foot on my neck. But I thought, I don't know how Dale feels about me, so I didn't really want to go there. It's a very vulnerable position. Dale's a big guy, and I'd hate to have him, I don't know, be mad at me. But he's doing this on purpose. He's trying to boost these guys up a little bit, not in their own strength, but to show them, I want you to come here and I want you, these are kings. A lot of us, is, most of us probably have never shaken the hand of a president before. I'm guessing. Maybe you have. Maybe you're the one in the room that has or two in the room that has. But it's rare that you shake a president's hand, right? Let alone have them lay on the ground and you place your foot on the top of their neck. It's an interesting position to be in considering who you are and considering who they are, right? What would that do for these guys? What is the purpose of this? What is Joshua trying to show them? And they drew near and put their feet on, the ne- on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, this is what I told you to note, back in verse 8, Joshua's going to tell them something here. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. This is just to show them. This is a taste of what's to come. This is a taste of our God's faithfulness in your life and in my life. And this is a moment for them to put this foot on the back of their necks and be like, man, never in a million years would I thought I'd be in this position. Never would have guessed that I'd be right here, right now in this. It's a supernatural moment for these guys. It'd be surreal to be doing this. We kind of read over it quickly, but what Joshua's trying to do is he says to them in verse 25 exactly what God told him in verse 8. Joshua isn't making this up. This isn't a pep talk. This isn't a coach's uh, locker room halftime speech. Joshua is simply relaying a message from God to him, to them. God has told us that this is how it's going to be as long as we're on his side and doing his work. So understand that. It isn't lucky. We didn't have good strategy. I mean, for goodness sake, we had hailstones wiping these guys out. That's not something you plan for, you know. I think that's important for us to read. Some have a tough time with this. Ezekiel 18.32 says that God has no, uh, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 33.11 says something similar to that. But there are verses where he does. He's not contradicting himself. It's for us to get a clear understanding about this. In Proverbs 1.24-26, he says he laughs at our enemy's disaster. When disaster comes upon him, he laughs. 
in Revelation 18.20, as that's the end of the great tribulation period and judgment has taken place on those all that have rejected Christ uh, as their Lord and Savior. He says, rejoice over her, saints. He wants the saints to rejoice over her. They've been defeated. God is excited about evil losing. God is excited about sin not winning, always. Now, he doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked because he loves the person. He wishes they would repent, but he has no problem with Joshua placing and having his guys place their feet on the back of the neck because these guys are going to die anyway, but he also wants them to know, I'm on your side, and this is what has to happen. These kings are the ones that authorized all their people to do what they used to do to their kids and to their wives the brutality, the strange ways they worshipped, all these things is authorized by these guys. And when it should have been God placing his foot on the back of their neck, he says, no, I'm using you to do it. God has given us power. We are the hands and feet of Christ. As much as we'd like to see Jesus walking down and healing people and doing this or that, guys, we're called to do that. We're called to this. I don't think I could put my foot on the back of anybody's neck. Best learn how. I don't mean literally people. But when it comes to fighting our enemies and when it comes to fighting evil, when it comes to living for God and doing what God wants us to do here on earth, we best open our mouths and tell people about Jesus because if none of us do it, nobody's going to do it. We best tell people there's hope. We best lead people to Christ. We best teach them the word of God. We best do and show love to those around us. We also have to protect and do battle spiritually and physically at times when it comes to evil. We best be ready to do that stuff. And pause for a moment and think about the times when God has given you victory over your enemies and other people's enemies. Sometimes there's other people. I have a list um, in my mind and, and sometimes on paper, not all of it, not a comprehensive list of the times that things have come against our fellowship or against this ministry or against me personally or my family. I think about all the times God's won. I'm still standing here. This ministry's still going. Good, you know. Don't apologize for any of it. I love the fact that God's vanquished our enemies and that God's word is still going out and people's lives are being changed and committed to Christ. It's exciting, you know. And so it's fun to think about that in the back of your mind that God is doing that and not to be afraid at the next one because there's going to be a next one, guys. There's going to be more coming and they may be stronger, they may be even bigger, but I want you to remember this moment with your foot on the back of these king's necks that the next guy in front of you, according to God's will and by God's power and God's strength, it's going to be the same as these guys. It's something they can think about in battle. Something they can see in their minds. After all the talk that we've been reading about all the memorial stones that they've been reading, the 12 stones they took out of the Jordan River, the 12 stones, or the many stones on top of the guy Achan that they stoned to death and so on, all the stone piles we see, this is a stone picture in their mind, something they can remember. I remember how God was strong on our behalf and we beat five kings. And he beat them with hailstones, you know. And us, but mostly hailstones. Verse 26, and afterward Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been uh, hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. 
So that was their tomb. Now we're not going to read the rest of this. I'm going to briefly go over verses 28 uh, through 41 because it is the same thing written about each person or each group. So I'll read the first one, 28. On that day, Joshua took, uh, made uh, a Mekeda, uh, and, and struck it with, uh, struck it and its king. Um, and he goes on through all these names, Libna, Lachish, Eglon, Hebron, Debir, all the way through. He took out all the southern area of the Canaanites there, and so they're going to be able to occupy that now. Um, they're going to be able to live in that land. Verse 40, so Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, mountain country, sorry, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness, uh, wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon, all these kings in their land, Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. Now they're regrouping for their next conquest. They're going to go to the north next week. This is the south. They're going to head to the north. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord. Um, and the rebuke uh, for those of us who um, maybe weren't going to pray, we're going to pray now. We want your will, we want uh, your wisdom, and we want your plan for our next steps of our lives. And so we trust you, and uh, we want to hear from you. So we don't want to just pray and hope that you join us in our fat, fat, our battles or our endeavors. Um, God, we want to pray and wait for an answer. We want to hear you say to us that you're with us and that this is your will. Otherwise, we don't want to make a move. Um, we don't want to make a, a mistake. We don't want an AI uh, in our history. Um, we want victory. So God, help us. If there's people that we're not sure about and we're going to make a deal with them and we're not so sure about their motives, Lord, uh, we ask for wisdom. Uh, we don't want to be hooked up with folks from Gibeon um, that are they're lying to us. On the other hand, God, if they're truthful, God, we pray that you'd show that also. We just want to do your will. Um, we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to walk paying attention to your leading and your guiding. Uh, we want to live that way. We don't want to read stories about these guys, these stories, Lord, we know you gave us for our admonition that we might walk the same way they walked. Nothing's changed. Um, we're not on autopilot, Lord. We need your guidance and, and uh, wisdom every single day. And so, God, we ask for that this morning. We thank you for um, the decision that we get to make to be a part of it. To, if there's a place you want us to go, we've got to march. We've got to go up the hill. We've got to put some effort into it. God, help us to be faithful, not just to talk about what we want to do, but to actually go do it, Lord. We might find ourselves not only in the presence of our enemies, but having victory over them, Lord. Um, we thank you for this encouragement this morning. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. We've taken the time this morning to sit at your feet, at your, the word. Uh, we've received what you have for us, and we want to receive it with gladness. We know that those who do are blessed that it's life, that it's, it gives us nourishment, it encourages us. And so, Lord, we receive your word with gladness today. Lord, help us now to look for those opportunities where you may use this word, this teaching, this week, Lord, with people or whatever it may be, situations. God, help us and bring this to our remembrance by your spirit that we might use it. Lord, bless these guys as they go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, have a good rest of the week, guys. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.